0: Patrick S. McKay, an apostle of the Joint Conference of Restoration Branches, believes that the Latter-day Saint movement is fractured, but one day soon, he hopes, that will change. In his new book, Healing the Breach, Mormonism, Metaphors, and the Pieces of the Puzzle, McKay has collected testimonies from various Latter-day Saints to reveal the rich tradition of similarity that exists among them. It is McKay's intent to reunite the Latter-day Saint churches and to prove once and for all that they have more in common than previously thought. Each branch of the Latter-day Saint movement has a legacy of testimony that has been created, preserved, and transmitted since the movement's founding, he asserts. And by revealing these testimonies, McKay hopes to promote an ecumenical ministry of healing, one that will unify the Latter-day Saint churches and encourage them to see their shared heritage. McKay's musings are definitely worth a listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the series on Mormonism for the New Books Network. I'm your host, Daniel Stone, and today we have a terrific guest. I'm here with Patrick McKay. Uh, He's just written this great book. Uh, It's called Healing the Breach, Mormonism, Metaphors, and the Pieces of the Puzzle. It's a really interesting book because it's not the average book that we talk about on this program. It's a spiritual devotional book in a sense, but what Patrick has done is something, quite frankly, in my opinion, is something that uh, scholars of Mormonism and American religion should really take a look at because he has compiled several testimonies of people uh, that are members of all different uh churches within the Latter-day Saint movement and it's something uh quite profound and Patrick thanks so much for being on the show we really appreciate it
2: Well thank you Daniel for having me
0: Yeah thank you so Patrick for for people who might not know who you are uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself give us give us a background um Where did you go to school? How did you get involved in the Latter-day Saint movement?
2: Okay. um, I did my undergraduate work at Graceland College in Lamoni, Iowa. That was the church school for the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I was raised in California, and I went to school in this little town in Iowa. And it was there that I had my first experience in reading the first book I ever read in my life, which was the Book of Mormon college and had never read a book i went through high school using uh, cliff notes and proceeded to do that through college and after my sophomore year i decided to read the book of mormon i'd been i'd heard about the book all my life and i read the book and something phenomenal happened it changed my life i met someone i'd always heard about but had never known i met jesus christ and that became foundational in my life from that point forward I am a second-generation member of the Reorganized Church. Uh, Today I serve as a a missionary. I'm an apostle out of the Joint Conference of Restoration Branches. I've had the privilege to travel uh, throughout Europe, Asia, Africa, the South Sea Islands, and of course through the United States. And uh, I'm excited because in my travels I've met many different parts of the Latter-day Saint movement And I found people that have impressed me. Their testimonies have enriched me, and it's caused me to consider the Latter Day Saint prism in a new light. Awesome! I live in in Independence, Missouri. I'm getting ready to celebrate my 40th year of marriage to my wife, Joy. I have two sons and four grandchildren, and they all live
0: in this area. Awesome! Well, I'm really excited to have you because, first of all, you are a scholar, but second of all, I have never had an apostle on this show before, so it's very exciting to have you on. And uh, your book, it, I mean, as I was saying before, it it is a spiritual book. It is a devotional book, but you've really done something profound, and you've done something real special. I don't know many books within Mormon studies that have done this, As you have collected several testimonies from all these different people within different uh, Latter-day Saint churches, and you have basically made this collage where people are expressing um, devotion and why they believe in the Book of Mormon. And for people who are interested, not only within the faith for spiritual reason, but for academic reasons, to to see all these different people's testimonies as to why they believe in this book. I mean, whether you're a historian, an anthropologist, uh, ethnographer, it's something that's really special. And I think your book is one of the few books that actually does this. So I guess my question for you is, how did you get involved in doing a project like this? Well, about
2: seven years ago, I was reading in one of the Latter-day Revelations that came through Joseph Smith in 1831, and he referred to the church that had been restored as the only true and living church on the face of the earth. Speaking to the church collectively and not individually. And of course, growing up in the reorganized church, I had a point of view that was similar to those in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Mormon, or the Church of Christ, Hedrickites, or the Church of Jesus Christ, Bickertonite. Uh, we all believe we're the one true church. But when I read that, he said, speaking to the church collectively and not individually, I began to think of the parable of Zenus in the Book of Mormon. And how he said there were various plantings of the house of Israel. And Nephi says, I can liken all scripture unto us. And so I thought, perhaps when he says speaking to church collectively and not individually, he's talking about the various fragments that came out of the original church. They all assent to a belief that Joseph was raised up as a prophet, that he restored a divine priesthood, that he purposed to gather the scattered tribes of Israel to build a holy city and adorn his saints with his Holy Spirit in preparation for his return, where he might make up his jewels. And so that set me on a course, Daniel, where I began uh, reaching out to people in different parts of the Restoration to see who these saints were, what made them tick, why did they believe in the Latter-day Work, and why weren't they a part of the church that I was a part of? Was their experience... uh, similar to my experience. And and quite surprisingly, I found that they were. In every one of these different parts of the restoration, I have found similarities that are remarkable. Uh, Healings, divine intervention, angelic visitation. Um, These are remarkable experiences that, that we look at those from our side of the aisle and we say that verifies and proves that we're right, that we're the Lord's people, that he's poured his spirit out upon us. And I believe that that's true in my movement, but I've also come to realize that that's true in other movements within the latter day work. So that's how I got
0: started. That's really interesting. Um, I guess I want to prod you just a little bit to ask, um, it must have been, was it personally for you, was it hard to come to that realization? that there were other people that pretty much believed in similar things that you believed but that there was the these commonalities that that were i kind of guess i guess you could say one against the grain of what you were taught growing up that you know this is the one true church because you are a member of you uh, re- were a member of the reorganized church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints which came out of Joseph Smith III so Like you said, all of these churches believe they're the one true church. You were brought up to believe that same thing. So when you come to this realization later on in life, did it shock you? Well, it didn't
2: shock me as much as it surprised me. You know, Daniel, we look at the world we live in today, and there's over seven plus billion people in the world. And if you gather all the Latter-day Saints of every stripe and color, uh, we don't even register on that scale. And so when I look at the commission of the Latter-day Church to um, have the gospel go around the globe, to gather Israel, to build a holy city, I recognize that no portion of the Restoration has yet been able to accomplish the divine commission given to us. And so it caused me to realize that maybe there are forces at work in the world that we haven't seen, and that maybe we only see the lesser part and the world doesn't see it at all.
0: Interesting. So I've heard that you started, well, it's not that I've heard, because I, I know this for a fact, um, but for the listeners who don't under, know that you started a uh, th- this annual symposium called the Book of Mormon Symposium, and it's held in Independence, Missouri every year. And I just wanted to ask, have you explain that. What is the Book of Mormon Symposium, and how did that get started?
2: Well, it started out pretty small. Um, living here in Independence, uh, I decided to advertise a Book of Mormon festival, and I was the only speaker, and I took a topic from the Book of Mormon. I know there's a lot of Book of Mormon believers that live in the greater Kansas City area, and that was fairly successful. We had a good turnout. So the next year, we tried it again with a couple of speakers, and then I made a trip out to Brigham Young University. and. Shared what I was doing with some of the professors there. And as a result, uh, I asked them, Would you be interested in assisting us in manifesting the, the power and the potency of this book? The idea, Daniel, was not to talk about our unique differences, but to talk about what we shared in common. On one occasion, Joseph Smith referred to the Book of Mormon as the keystone of our religion. That a man would live nearer to God by abiding by its principles than any other record. And so uh, I asked them, they assented, and they have been coming the last six years to participate with us in this Book of Mormon Symposium.
0: Wonderful. And what's the purpose? And what's the main purpose of the Book of Mormon Symposium? You said to just kind of bring people together to talk about the commonalities. Is it mainly just to talk about the Book of Mormon?
2: Well, of course, we want to talk. We want to magnify the book and those who believe in it. But there is somewhat of a hidden agenda. That agenda is is that if we develop associations with like believers, even though we have differences, as we develop those associations, we find that uh, we begin to like people. We tear down the walls that have divided us, and we begin talking about what we have in common. Versus what we disagree on. Most Latter-day Saint churches would define themselves by who they're not. Uh, you uh, you come out of the um, Church of Jesus Christ Bickertonite movement. And on your website, your church says that we're not associated with any other church in the Restoration. Um, <laughs> right. People in my side of the aisle, when we tell people we believe in the Book of Mormon, their first response might be, oh, you're a Mormon. And we have typically defined ourselves by, no, we're not Mormons, but we believe in the book. But I think a better way is to testify of who we are because of what we believe. I like to say to folks that ask me if I'm a Mormon, I say, well, do you believe in the Bible? And they say, if they say yes, I say, well, are you a Bible? And they say no. And I say, well, I'm not a Mormon. Uh, I believe in the Book of Mormon. And so I think that's a creative way to engage people in discussion. And, and Daniel, it's been very successful. Our symposiums have brought together diverse parts of the restoration on what we share in common. And friendships have developed and friendships unite. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. You know, it was the brother of Jared who pled with the Lord that he wouldn't confound the language of his friends. King Benjamin called his people, his friends. So the kingdom of God is really a kingdom of friends. And I think that, of course, we want to be united on the gospel. We want to be united on the truth. But first we have to have a desire to be united. And I think the Book of Mormon is something that we can all rally around because we share that as the um, the most important part of the Latter-day work as it burst forth.
0: So what you're doing is you're you're basically you're basically offering diplomacy. You are a restoration ambassador in a sense.
2: Well, I I think that's a nice way to say it. I appreciate the compliment. I I hope we're successful in that.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I've I'll attest. I've been to. Two or three Book of Mormon symposiums that you've held, and I've always been interested in every single time going. They're great conferences. Like you said, you meet a lot of friendly people. You get to talk with one another, and you come to realize that there are there are a lot more commonal- commonalities among us than there are differences. And I think that's the beautiful thing that you all are doing. And I kind of see your book as an outgrowth of this Book of Mormon symposium. Is that correct? Sure, it is. Um
2: the the more that i've engaged with people i've had opportunity to uh be invited into their circle i've had a chance to visit many of the churches uh, i've had a chance to uh, meet with the professors at brigham young university in fact i had a, a a real great privilege i was invited to speak to the ancient history and church history department professors and talk about this idea of healing the breach uh and it was uh, well received and um we built friendships there. I've had the same opportunity in the Church of Jesus Christ Bicker tonight, And I've tried to mingle among some of the many factions of Latter-day Saintism. And I've found friends in every one of these camps.
0: Wonderful. So again, just to repeat, I'm talking with Patrick McKay. He's written the new book, Healing the Breach, Mormonism, Metaphors, and Pieces of the Puzzle. And Patrick, we've talked a lot about... Uh, why? Who would be interested in this book? Obviously, people who believe in the Book of Mormon. But do you think people who might not necessarily believe in the Book of Mormon, but maybe are uh, interested in like the study of Mormonism or American religion, do you think that they would find your book fascinating or find little, uh, you know, pieces of information that they could use for their studies?
2: Well, I, I think that that uh, Latter Day Sanism hasn't yet been investigated. Really, very thoroughly, by the scholars of our day, but I think that's beginning to change you know it's a, it's really the the first great American religion, and uh it has shaped and fashioned many things in in our our culture in fact uh um, the Book of Mormon is now being recognized whether people believe in it as scripture or simply a part of uh amer of our American heritage. I think that's important, and there are aspects in the book that I think would appeal to anybody who wants to know more about Latter Day Sanism, the divisions that exist, the commonalities that they share, how the various churches formed and why they formed, and is there any effort to unite these churches? That, uh, in fact, Daniel, Latter Day sainism is really a, a small microcosm of Protestant Christianity. In Protestant Christianity, all of these churches believe in the Bible. Now, they may interpret the Bible differently. Some are more fundamental. Some are more allegorical. But they all refer to that as the standard of their faith. Well, in Latter-day Saintism, we believe in the Bible, but we also assent to a belief in the Book of Mormon. And so uh, we have differences just like Protestant Christianity. And my efforts are geared towards trying to get all of these various Latter-day Saints to consider the fact that, unlike Protestant Christianity, we have a chance to do something they're not able to do, and that is to become united so that uh, we can use one another's strengths, the gifts, the insights, the opportunities would present itself to speak with uh, one voice to bear witness of the Latter-day work.
0: So what you're really interested in doing is you're kind of creating a Latter-day Saint ecumenism. Is that correct?
2: Well, you know, ecumenism isn't really uh, looked upon too fondly by Latter-day Saints because they've been kind of separatists in their views. But within the family of Latter-day Saintism, yes, I I have somewhat of a a ecumenistic view. I believe, uh, like the Book of Mormon says, there are saved two churches only. And I don't believe that because you worship in this group or you worship in that group that you're disqualified. I think that each group has something uh, that's enriching and strengthening. And there are many, many core beliefs that we share in common, but we we disagree over uh, priesthood authority or church administration. But there isn't a lot of difference as far as what the doctrine of Christ is as it's clearly elicited for us in
0: the Book of Mormon. Okay. Well, on that topic, in your mind, what are the main commonalities among all these Latter-day Saint churches, Well, other than the Book of Mormon, because we've talked about that?
2: The Book of Mormon is very clear. Jesus says, there have been many contentions. Behold, this is my doctrine, faith, repentance, and baptism. That is the gate by which we should enter the kingdom of God. We have the same view that all little children are alive in Christ. We share the view that the atonement, the greater our hope in the resurrection, the greater our faith. We understand that priesthood was restored in these latter days. We understand that the great commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel and gather the children of Israel to the lands of their inheritance and build a holy city. We call that Zion. Those are all things that every uh, part of Latter-day Saintism believes. Those are very common core beliefs, regardless of which side of the aisle we find ourselves in.
0: Yeah, and those are uh, fundamental beliefs. I mean, those are foundational, everything that you're saying. I mean, these aren't just like you know, minor commonalities. This is the fundamentals of the religion.
2: Right. We might differ over what the priesthood offices are in the church. Um, but we don't disagree that priesthood has been restored. Uh, we don't disagree that that God has sown within the priesthood the power to remit sins, remit sins through the waters of regeneration, which we call baptism. Uh, the same power that was given to the apostles in John the twentieth chapter. He said that uh, whosoever sins you remit, they shall be remitted. He told John the Baptist that he was to preach baptism for the remission of sins. We claim a divine priesthood that is able to invite people into the kingdom of God through the waters of regeneration, the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so those are common core beliefs that all of these churches of the Restoration teach.
0: So if these fundamentals are in all the different groups... What are the differences that separate them? Why are, the, why are some of these differences such great obstacles for them to come together? Or are they major obstacles to come together in your mind?
2: Well, I think there, the, we do have obstacles. Uh, and what's happened is, is, at the death of Joseph Smith, the church fractured and it went many directions. And what's happened is each group over a period of time, believes they're the best representative of the original church. And in so doing, they claim they're the sole proponents of authority. And so the authority didn't go with any of the other groups. It only went with the group that they're in. So really, getting back to my book, I've tried to demonstrate through testimony and commentary and um, prophetic gifts that The power of the priesthood is evident in each of these groups. They've raised the dead. They've restored sight to the blind. They've entertained angels. They've had a testimony of the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. Uh, These are things that we think are unique in our particular church, but we find that they're also a part of other Latter day Saint denominations. And my thought is that if God has lent his spirit to these various Parts of the restoration, perhaps we
0: should recognize that. Interesting. I mean, what this message that you're bringing out has it been well received by several members within the Latter Day Saint churches?
2: Well, I th- I think it's an unfolding dynamic, and and I think that it's a new idea. Um. And nobody has really broached this subject. Nobody's tried to figure out how the various latter- day saint churches can get together you know there's a a story in the New Testament when Jesus meets the woman at the well and she was from uh, the land of Samaria and the Samaritans of course um were there the children of Israel had been peeled off the land and and others came in and although she was an Israelite because she refers to my father Jacob drank from this well, but she sown among these non-Israelites, and so the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans, and the Samaritans had no dealings with the Jews. But interestingly, Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman, and he also spoke to the Jews. I believe that Latter-day Saints believe God is speaking to us in our particular branch of the Restoration, but he's not speaking to the other branches. But I've come to understand that he's speaking to each of these groups, just like he did to the woman at the well. And that's a remarkable uh, thought, if you think about it, that we're not talking to each other, but but God is talking to each of us. And I hope that the book will raise our our thought process, that we would consider the fact that that. We're not alone in this work, but there are others that God is using and preparing. I like to think of it this way, Daniel, as a, the Lord is sewing a beautiful tapestry. The Latter-day Saint churches have typically looked at the backside of the tapestry, and they see all the threads crisscrossed and knotted, and it isn't very pretty. But if we could turn that uh, tapestry over, we could see what the master artisan is doing. He's creating a beautiful picture And he's weaving together these various threads from different parts of the restoration to heal the breach and prepare people that he would be ready when he comes to make up his jewels.
1: Slash NBN fifty to get fifty
0: percent off. Yeah, when you read your book, that's the message that I get. Uh, honestly, when you read it from front to back, you—I've learned a ton just by reading it because you see there are a lot the the experiences, and when I say experiences, I mean like revelations or things that people say that they've experienced within their you know their true church. They're all the same. Every they're they're all they're all common they're all common threads. So this idea of what you had brought up, saying that we're the one true church, God's only speaking to us. You see through your book that you each chapter is broken up into a particular theme, and you have these different people from these restoration churches talking about experiences that have to do with those themes, and you recognize that all these different people who come from churches that say that their church is the true church they're all having these same exact experiences um, along those same themes. And I think that's something that's real profound that your book brings out. And I keep using that word profound because I don't really know another adjective to describe it. It's it's mind boggling in a good way. It's provocative in a good way because it breaks the paradigms that people have been brought up listening to their whole life. And it really does make people think. And um, your book is just Opening a lot of eyes, and it certainly has for me. Well, I appreciate that,
2: Daniel. That's that's the intent of the book. Uh, I I truly believe that um, there are some very special people in all of these parts of the restoration. I think they're special people in all of Christianity, of course, but in particular in the restoration because we share a common belief in those those core things I talked about: a restoration of the priesthood. Uh, The doctrine of Christ, the gathering of Israel, the building of a holy city, the gifts of the Spirit, uh, tongues, prophecy, the interpretation of tongues, miracles, dreams, and visions, etc. These are unique to Latter-day Saintism. A complement of priesthood. We have the priesthood, that um, the evangelical priesthood, the prophetic priesthood, the apostolic priesthood. Uh, there's preaching ministry, there's teaching ministry. This is all woven into these various churches. We're a a lay ministry, and yet we have unique priesthood or unique ministerial gifts that have come to us in every part of the restoration. I I really think that we're um, so fortunate to have had the chance to realize that what God is doing in our movement is unique, but it's also very common within the entire restoration. There's this, yeah, one of the chapters yeah. in my book talks about the xylem and the phloem, And it's a, there's a lot of analogies in the book. And, and I like to suggest that as the, um, as the sugar comes up through the, the tree and it, it nourishes, it, ha- it has photosynthesis with the sun and it nourishes the plant, and then it is pulled back through it, keeping it alive. The same thing has happened in the restoration. The elders have had um, photosynthesis or have had revelation with the Son, in this case, S-O-N, the Son of God. And that revelation, the Word of God, the living Word of God, has been brought back through the various branches of the tree or of the church, sustaining it and keeping it alive. And so our spiritual xylem has been transporting the living waters of the testimony of Jesus throughout the various branches of the church. And that photosynthesis with the Son of God, S-O-N, has caused there to be revelation. And this process has been enacted over and over again among the men of the ministry in the various parts of the restoration. And illustrating that we're all a part of the same plant, the same tree the house of Israel.
0: So you had touched upon this idea of priesthood authority, and you were touching on it as you were speaking even now. Um, it's You were saying that it's a shared priesthood, but that seems to be the biggest obstacle among all these churches. They all believe that they hold, not only that, when you're saying that all these churches believe that they're the true church, they're, I guess they're saying that not just because of the structure, but you know, when Joseph Smith you know, had his movement of the Latter-day Saint movement, he believed that the priesthood authority had come to Joseph Smith or he had come to him and that he was given these special keys that he was able to do things like the original church was basically the same thing that Jesus was doing. And this was a common theme, you know, in the early 1800s among several uh, restoration churches, you know, not just the Latter-day Saint restoration movement but joseph smith really holds on to this idea of priest authority um it's a holy authority it comes f- directly from the holy spirit um it's something that has to be given by the laying on of hands so you see all these different church latter day saint churches have this same idea of of priesthood authority but yet they all believe that they have it and nobody else does or they might not have the highest form like they do i guess my question is is what is, in your mind, priesthood authority? Why is this such an obstacle among the Latter-day Saint churches? And is this the biggest obstacle that they're facing? I think that
2: the, that is the real elephant in the room, that, that we have authority and no one else does. I think that's how each of the Restoration churches think. And I think it's because we, we're insecure. We have an identity crisis. We feel like because God has healed our sick and visited us with angels and given us testimony of the work, that we're the only plants in his vineyard. And it doesn't mean that because God blesses us, he can't bless someone else. I guess the biggest problem is with, with all of the churches is uh, we say we have authority and others don't, But but Daniel, it's difficult to prove a negative how can we prove these other churches don't have authority? We can testify that we do because of the fruit that has been born, but as I've labored and and spent time with and been in the homes and in the pulpits and mingled among these other parts of the restoration, the same verification that we use to validate our authority is present in these other parts of the restoration. And so we... We just think we're it because God has blessed us, but we can't prove that the other churches don't have authority. In fact, one time it was interesting, I, we met with some members of your church, uh, some, some traveling missionaries and some missionaries in, in our side of the aisle, and I posed the question to them because uh, we all knew that the elephant in the room was priesthood authority. And I said, you know, maybe we can solve this dilemma. You believe you have authority, but we don't. We believe we have authority and you don't. Let's invite 10 blind people in here and let's see who can heal them. Nobody wanted to take me up on the offer. (laughs) And then I I proceeded to tell these gentlemen, you know, here's a door right here. And if Jesus were to walk in this room, and say, would you men follow me? I believe every one of us would get up and follow him. And you know what would happen once that happened? There would be no division among us. Because we all have a desire to follow the Lord. And and I believe it will be that simple. Uh, I believe the day that we have dreamed of is just before us, when all the wrongs will be made right. And the band will play the coming home song, so to speak. And when Jesus comes into our midst, I believe all the disputations will vanish and uh, we will be united. And so the purpose of the book is really to enrich the soil for the sowing of that seed. It doesn't suggest that one part of the restoration is superior to another part. It simply says, can we consider the possibility that if we look far enough down a single, a double lane highway, we only see one lane? And I believe that is the divine destiny of the Latter-day work, because he tells us in Latter-day Revelation, behold, I given you a parable. It is even as I am. Be ye one. And if you're not one, you're not mine. Don't we all want to be the Lord's? Shouldn't we all want to be one? And I believe that is our destiny.
0: Yeah, what your book is doing it's an offering the way I look at it, it's offering an olive branch to all these Latter-day Saint churches. And I mean, everything you're saying, it's coming from a very spiritual, devotional perspective, what we had talked about earlier. But you're your 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 objective and your thought process is very objective in the sense of you're looking at it from a broader picture. You're not judging anybody, you're saying you're looking at facts, you're taking testimonies from people. So you're taking basically like oral histories or Testimonies that they've written themselves. And you're saying, look at the commonalities, look at the similarities. There's not, there's really not the major differences that we pretend that we have. Um, For people who are spiritual or devotional, or for people who just are interested in the Mormon movement, it's a great book to see that you have really collected this and you've done it in an objective way while still gearing it for, you know, with a spiritual tone.
2: Well, I, yeah, I really I appreciate that, Daniel. I, I know that's, that's certainly the intent. You know, um, the biggest problem Latter-day Saints have is they, they want to defend themselves by showing the, the failure of the other churches. Um, you know, Latter-day Saints, even when we talk to Protestants, you know, sometimes I think we make a mistake when we tell them we're the one true church. That makes them feel like, well, then our church must be false and we must be untrue. And, and I think in Latter-day Sanism, we have the same problem with one another. I prefer to say that I, I believe there are good Christian people in, in all these various Protestant and Catholic denominations, and they have a heart for God and they're feeling after him. And I believe he answers prayer and I believe he wants to bless them. I believe the Restoration simply offers greater light and truth. It simply wants to extend the, the testimony of Jesus in more uh, demonstrative ways and, and offer greater blessings than what they have previously had. I think within the Restoration, wouldn't it be great if every time we came to church, we experienced the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as they did on the day of Pentecost? You know, there was a time in the early church when it burst forth out of the wilderness. Uh, God added to the church daily, such as should be saved. And these signs followed those that believe. In my name, they cast out devils. They healed the sick. They spoke in tongues. They performed miracles. And the restoration has been touched by these kind of experiences. But the experiences that we have are really more exceptions than the rule. When the gospel first broke forth, it was uh, dynamic and powerful. It was a boiling cauldron. But after the death of Joseph and the separation into these various restoration churches, over time it's it's simmered somewhat and now it's presided over by cautious bureaucrats. And the intent is, is to preserve our own little identities. But really we need to get back to that boiling tempest. We need to get back to that dynamic time when God is pouring out his spirit in marvelous and powerful ways. And I believe that all of the unique gifts and tendencies that have been created through our separation, he wants to weave back together and make us far more efficient, enlarge um, in, in our testimony. Uh, through the demonstration of gifts and organization and administration and scholarly research, all these things woven together to make the church strong and formidable so that we can offer that testimony to the world.
0: Hmm. So you're not arguing against priesthood authority. You're offering a nuanced understanding of priesthood authority. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, I'm not challenging any of the restoration groups. You know, the the fact is that priesthood was restored, and the church fraction went many different directions. You know, they didn't have the benefit of the internet. They didn't have television or radio, and some people were isolated for years and, and didn't really know what happened at the death of Joseph Smith, but they continued to preach the gospel, did the best they could, gathered around certain individuals, and over time, there were differences that that manifest themselves, but they were all believers. We somehow seem to think that because they didn't follow the same path I followed, that God could not have blessed them. But the testimonies that are woven in this book demonstrate over many, many years that God has been active in these various parts of the restoration. You know, Daniel, when God's scattered former day Israel, he sifted them among the Gentiles with the express purpose that he would purify them so that he could gather them in the last days. Following the death of Joseph, I believe the Lord performed another scattering, this time to preserve both his saints and his church. You know, the various restoration churches have been busy collecting the saints among the Gentiles trying to cleanse them from false doctrine and and the tenets of men that that they see manifest in general Christianity. And in spite of our differences, the restoration has all been assisting in restoring men to a knowledge of the covenants God made with Israel and sharing with them the doctrine of Christ, washing away their sins in the, the waters of baptism. And so I like to look at these churches as spiritual aquifers. Some are small and some are big, and they're gathering the saints. And the day will come when he's going to bottle us all under the same label once again. And so just Mm -hmm. as he, you know, you take water and you run it through the sand and the dirt and, and the pebbles, you can actually purify the water and it can become drinkable. God has been gathering his saints through all of these restoration churches so that he could eventually bottle us all under the same label in the future, the church of Jesus Christ.
0: This is a fascinating subject. Uh, There's something else I want to talk about that you've been touching on. And you're, through everything that you've been saying, there's this theme of prophecy uh, or a prophetic understanding of revelation and the use of that within the church. And you're saying that all the Latter-day Saint churches have that, that that's important. But how do these Latter-day Saint churches understand prophecy? And do they all see it the same way in your mind? Is this something that's that's fundamental to them? Does this tie in with priesthood authority? Sure. Joseph Smith said that no man can be a minister unless he's a
2: prophet. And no man can be a prophet unless he possesses the testimony of Jesus and of course in revelation 19:10 he tells us the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy in the early church he told the elders that, that whatsoever you shall teach when moved upon by the holy spirit shall be scripture shall be the mind and the will of god and so we're all called to teach the truth and of course jesus says sanctify them through my word my word is truth we believe that in a in a Continuing revelation. We believe that we should be living oracles. And so priesthood should be prophetic. Uh, All of us should be able to preach the truth in power and the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. And in the various churches, uh, I think that that concept exists to a greater or lesser degree in each of these movements. Um, Some believe that there's direction that comes to the church itself through a prophetic leader. Others believe it's just personal revelation, but in each instance, they believe that God speaks today. And so that's a marvelous thing, Daniel, that we pray and we believe that God can answer those prayers, that we can actually have dialogue. I, I call it um, prophetic dialogue that we can have where the heavens can open. You know, the experience that Joseph Smith had in the grove um he he opened an avenue that that was lost to mankind. God was again speaking to people in discernible, articulate terms, as He did to young Joseph. He asked him which church should I join. He said, "Join none of them, for they draw near to me with their hearts, but their with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and they teach for doctrine the commandments of men." And He said, "This is my beloved son; hear him." And so that prayer that Joseph prayed and, and was answered wasn't just for him, but each of us can have our own Palmyra. Each of us can have an encounter with Jesus Christ where we can pray and receive divine revelation to lead, guide, and direct us in our lives. And So I think that is unique to Latter-day Sanism, and I think it exists among all parts of the Restoration to a greater or lesser extent.
0: Okay. No, thanks for it. Thanks for answering that. That's that is good stuff. But I I do want to throw something in there. And this isn't this is not a, a dig on anything you're saying cuz I'm I'm really appreciating everything you are saying Patrick. It it makes a lot of sense. But you know, some people within these Latter-day Saint churches could say, "Yes, but I'm guess I guess where I'm going with this is that I'm thinking prophecy can be a double-edged sword. You're talking about all the nice things that prophecy can give, but Oh, I could see several members of several churches saying, yeah, but within our church, we've had prophetic revelations. You know, this leader back in this time had this revelation saying that we're the true church or they, you know, like, for instance, in my church or the the Church of Jesus Christ, also known as the Bickertonites, they hang on to uh, William Bickerton's uh, vision of the mountain and chasm, the idea that they were called as the Church of Alma. You know, this idea, this is a story in the Book of Mormon where Alma basically starts the church over from scratch because it has been, you know, has been corrupted. And they then look at those revelations. And or there's another one in my church where it says, you know, we're the Church of Philadelphia. I mean, all the other Latter-day Saint churches have similar revelations that point to that they're the true church. And I I could see them kind of pushing back to you a little bit and saying, yeah, but our prophecy is is more sure because God has then said to us, we're it. Do you do you acknowledge that those revelations say that, or do you, again, look at this those revelations maybe from a nuanced perspective?
2: Well, I do believe that God has spoken to the various uh, churches of the Restoration. One of the experiences in the book I share is the story of the woman at the well. Jesus meets this woman at the well, and he asks, where is your husband? And she says... I have no husband. And Jesus says, That's right, you've had five husbands. And and as I was reading that one day, I felt the overflowing influence of the Holy Spirit. And and I, I believe that I was given prophetic understanding regarding that account and overlaid it with the Latter-day Saint movement. I believe we've had five prophets. I believe Joseph Smith Jr. or five husbands, Joseph Smith Jr., Brigham Young, Sidney Rigdon. Granville Hedrick, and Joseph Smith Third, The original church and four of the remaining groups that are viable today all claim to have prophetic leadership at the head of their church. But he goes on to say, but you now have a husband, you now have a man that you're living with, but he's not your husband. But he promises if you drink from this well, you will never thirst. And that's the promise of continuing revelation." That God is going to give the Latter-day Saint movement a husband again, or a prophet. Uh, Joseph Smith said it this way, that he would raise up a man like Moses to lead the church out of bondage. And as your fathers were led at the first, even so shall the redemption of Zion be. Because we don't have Zion, because we're ensnared in the, the, the tentacles of the world, he's promised to deliver his church out of bondage. And I believe all of these prophetic gifts in these various parts of the Restoration have nourished the church and kept it alive, much like a placenta keeps the baby alive. But once the baby is born, the placenta is cast aside. We've had these various organizations, Daniel. We call them the church and and they're, they're organizations. And they've sustained all of the saints in their various settings. But the day will come. He doesn't just want us to be an organization. He wants us to become a living organism, the living, breathing uh, body of Christ. And he's promised to give us a husband or set at the head of the church, once again, a prophetic leader that will lead us out of bondage. As Moses led the children of Israel, so shall the redemption of Zion be. Uh, Jeremiah speaks of a time that in the latter days, when he goes to hunt and fish for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, that it'll be so powerful, we won't remember the miracle that Moses performed. So this is our future. This is our destiny as Latter-day Saints. And that prophetic ministry will weld these various fragments of the restoration back together. And so all of us have had prophetic experiences in our church foretelling this event. The book actually Toward the end of the book, I share many prophetic experiences from different parts of the Restoration, foretelling of the time when the churches would be united, that there would be one church again. And so uh, it's it's written into the very fabric of the various churches. Even though we don't speak to each other, God has spoken to each of the churches.
0: So you're not discounting those experiences that all these other different restoration groups have had to say that, you know, that they're on the right path, that God is leading them. But you're saying that there's a greater church, a greater goal that all of these experiences are going to be melded into. They're all leading us to something that's bigger than what we are anticipating.
2: Yeah, I believe God has sustained his church while it's in the wilderness. And we can say it's in the wilderness because it hasn't yet borne the fruit that he's called his church to do. In the Book of Mormon, Jesus says, um, the day would come when I also will labor with them in the vineyard, and they will keep my commandments in all things. None of the churches of the Restoration can say that we keep his commandments in all things. And then he says, and the fruit will again be in his vineyard, and we will be one. That's the promise of our heritage coming together. And he's going to take these prophetic experiences that have sustained the church in its wilderness in these various settings. And that's what's kept us alive, the spirit of revelation. But he's going to give us a greater revelation and show us that we actually are one another's brothers and sisters. And that we were separated at birth or shortly after the death of Joseph but that in the latter times he would weave us back together and we have prophecy foretelling this event. The the book has several prophetic experiences uh, foretelling this day that we would eat out of the same dish, that um, each part of the restoration had unique tendencies that uh, he refers to his church as a woman, one of the churches, he says, it had law written across her chest, and it represented the reorganized church. In another experience, he showed a woman in custodial clothes, and she represented the Church of Christ temple Lot. In another, she saw a woman with the word loyalty written on her chest, and she represented the, the Mormon church, because they're loyal to the Book of Mormon. They've translated it into over a 100 languages. He again saw a woman, and this time she had the word many gifts written on her chest, and she represented the Church of Jesus Christ Bickertonite. And when the man awoke from his dream and told his wife of these various uh, women that he saw these characteristics, his wife said, oh, it's like a puzzle. These various women are going to get together. And he said, no, they were all the same woman with different characteristics. They all represented the bride of Christ. And that he was preparing her and was going to gift her with all of these unique abilities. She would understand the law. She would be loyal. She would be faithful in taking care of her stewardship. She would be blessed with many gifts. This is the heritage that belongs to the people of God. And through prophetic gifts, he sustained them with the express purpose that one day he would make them one.
0: Okay. This is fascinating stuff. And that's actually a, a a good way to kind of segue again to reintroduce your book. It's called Healing the Breach, Mormonism, Metaphors, and Pieces of the Puzzle. The cover actually has a picture of Jesus with all these puzzle pieces coming together. So Patrick, it just sounds like you're saying that all these Latter-day Saint churches, each of them are a piece of the puzzle. And, when, and it, I guess it's just that simple of a metaphor that when they all come together, you actually see a a, a bigger picture. But when they're separated, they're kind of separated unto themselves and they're missing the, the bigger, the, the bigger uh, revelation or the bigger prophetic understanding of what their job actually is. Well, you know,
2: Daniel, when you buy a puzzle and you put the picture there you, and you get all the pieces out on the table... You know, if you discover that you've got the picture almost done, but you're missing several pieces, you can't finish it. And it's very frustrating. And maybe they're under the couch, or maybe the dog ate one of them, or whatever, you can't finish the the picture. I look at the Latter-day Saint movement as each of these churches of the Restoration are a part of the puzzle and that we can't complete the picture until all of the puzzle parts come together. We have assumed the only parts of the puzzle are those which are in our hands. But as I said earlier, there are forces at work that we know not of, that God has been sustaining, like he did the, the plantings of uh, the, in the parable of Zenus in the Book of Mormon. He planted these uh, branches in various parts of his vineyard, but they all bore fruit so that in the latter days he could graft all of those branches back into the mother tree and he could preserve the fruit unto himself. Those are the pieces of the puzzle, Daniel. And without that, we'll never be able to complete the picture on the box, which is the holy city where Jesus comes to his bride adorned with all of the blessings so that he can be wedded to her.
0: Well, Patrick, I just can't thank you enough for being on the show. I know I've taken up a lot of your time, but you're saying a lot of very interesting things. I can see them being provocative, but they're provocative in a good way. I don't use that term in a, a disparaging way. It, it, it prods your mind to make you think. So if you're a devout Latter-day Saint that belongs to any of these churches, if you are a scholar that is interested in Mormon history or even American religion, This is a book that you're definitely going to want to pick up because it gives you such a personal in-depth view of how these Latter-day Saints actually think. And like Patrick was saying, uh, I can attest, I know very few books out there that do what Patrick has done in this book. So do yourself a favor, please get this book. And uh, Patrick, um, what else can we expect from you in the near future? Are you working on anything now? Um, what, What can we expect to learn from you?
2: Well, I hope to go on a book tour. And I want to try and visit all of the various branches of the Restoration and invite them to read the book to consider a new idea that God wants us to become united. Um, I would also remind you, Daniel, that your listeners can find this book at Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Just search for Healing the Breach by Patrick McKay. And the book is available on, it's an ebook, it's a paperback, or it's a hardback. And if you hear the broadcast and would like to get in touch with me, I would be more than happy to uh, meet with you. My, I can give you my contact information. It's Patrick McKay Senior at gmail.com. Drop me a note. I'd be happy to correspond with you, be happy to meet with you, uh, talk to you in depth about the book and what it is we're hoping to accomplish. We're still promoting the Book of Mormon Festival. and. I believe, Daniel, one of the things I'd like to see us accomplish in the future is a Latter-day Saint Thanksgiving. You know, we all are hanger-ons to the American tradition of Thanksgiving, which is a terrific holiday. We believe that God raised up this nation, uh, sent our, our pilgrim and Puritan fathers to this land to, to build a holy nation. But we also have pilgrims that came that are recorded in the Book of Mormon. We had the Jaredites, and we had the Nephites, and the Mulekites. And there's a lot that we can add to the cornucopia of the Thanksgiving that exists on this land. wouldn't it be terrific if Latter-day Saints of every stripe could come together and celebrate a Latter-day Saint Thanksgiving, where we could add to the dynamic of Thanksgiving with the added insight of the Book of Mormon. something to think about. I think that there's a whole lot that we can do as Latter-day Saints that we can come together on things we agree on, and the things we don't agree on leave the heavy lifting to God. I believe if we move out in faith, God will remove those obstacles and we'll become a dynamic people, a people of divine destiny through which he wants to build his kingdom.
0: Awesome. Well, everyone, there you have it. There's Patrick McKay offering a very Heartwarming and very, uh, very insightful understanding of the Latter day Saint movement. Patrick, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it.
2: Well, thank you, Daniel. Really do appreciate you asking me.